If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We talked about this at the dinner table. This was prior uh, to the message, but I thought it was good. Do we have any shoppers in here tonight? Anybody admit that? (laughs) How many times have you seen an ad that states, this is the last opportunity to get this 25% off? Now, in the past, I have allowed a lot of those things to go by, but I have come to find out that when they say Christmas in July specials, sometimes they're not joking. Because they're actually marking it down lower in the summertime than they will even mark it down on Black Friday. Anybody missed any of those deals? I've I've missed a few of those, but I really haven't missed out on very much because I probably didn't need it in my house to begin with. Do we have any athletes in here tonight? Got any athletes? When I was growing up, I can't... can't, recall how many times that I would be in the backyard and I would be pretending that it was either NCAA March Madness or the NBA Finals and I would have the ball in my hand with about three seconds to go and I would take the shot and if the shot went in then the game was over. If the shot did not go in, I automatically put about 10 more seconds back on the clock and let it wind down again because I wanted to take that last shot in that last opportunity and to get it right. As I was growing up in middle school and high school, one of my dreams was playing college basketball and that was something that I really wanted to do and I knew that I had broken my wrist my senior year of high school, and I knew that if I didn't, uh, I knew that that blew all my scholarships, and so those were pretty much over. And so I played intramural basketball for about three years and all the other sports that went along with that. And it came into my senior year, and I knew that when the doctor said you may never ride again, much less play basketball, I was wondering uh, if I would ever have that opportunity again. And I, I became very depressed But the dream had not died. And so the summer before I was going to enter into my senior year of college, I had one more shot. I signed up to go to a mission trip overseas. And so I I knew that I was going to have to train over there if possible. And and so I came back from that trip and I had one last shot. I began to practice with the team over and over and over again, giving it my all and trusting that hopefully I'll make the team. And I found out another guy had walked on ahead of me and I wondered, am I going to make it? And eventually a coach brought me back into the office one day after practice and he said, how does number five sound? And so that was an opportunity that I did not miss out on. I missed out on a lot of opportunities of buying things and things of that nature, and they really didn't matter that much. 
And really to think about it, whether I made the basketball team or not, it really didn't, it didn't matter that much because in the grand scheme of things, those, those skills, I'm not able to run and play like I used to. I'd already be out of the game, even if I did get one big shining moment throughout my life, because those things, uh, they're, they're fun and they're enjoyable and you learn a lot of life lessons. But I'll tell you that I could have lived without making that team, but I could not have lived without being in Christ Jesus. Because there's a lot of things that I put all my hope in, and I thought this is what I, it shaped my identity and who I was and who I wanted to be. And so I allowed those things to dominate my thinking, and that's what I went after over and over and over again. But tonight, I don't want you to miss the opportunity to, to number one, to be in Christ. Because if you haven't been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be in Him. You need to be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of your own, but you need to have a righteousness that comes by faith. And we've talked about that all week long. If you have been saved by God's grace, you don't need to let the opportunity pass by to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be in His church. He has called you to follow him. And if you've been born again, you need, you need to share that with the church and you need to follow him in believer's baptism because that's a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to miss out on that opportunity. I told you shopping is fine and playing athletics is fine, but I tell you, there are much weightier matters in this world. And those two things are two of the most important things in a person's life is to be in Christ and to be a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ through His church because He's displaying His glory through the church. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that you, you need to be... We, we get concerned about all the other teams. We need to be concerned about serving the Lord in the church. Tonight I want us to look at here in Luke chapter 23 a man who had one last opportunity. One last opportunity. I'm going to begin reading in verse 32. It says, There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. 
And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw that what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. As we consider this last opportunity, I hope and pray that God's heart will shine through to you tonight as Brother Brad was mentioning that the Lord Jesus Christ is more than He appears to be. And He definitely revealed a a great truth about His divinity there in the transfiguration. But I will say that He revealed some spectacular truth here as He was hanging on the cross. And we see the purity of His heart, the holiness of His heart, the goodness of His heart. The warmth of his heart. I, I can't even get over this. I've meditated on this probably the last couple of years, just thinking about Jesus hanging on this cross, thinking about the injustices that had uh, happened unto him at this moment in time. You see, as we look at previous verses, we'll find that uh, Jesus, this, this whole trial that Jesus walked through, uh, the trial going back and forth between Pilate and Herod and, and the Sanhedrin and all of this stuff, all this happened within a 24-hour time span. This was something that was unheard of. This was even against the Jewish laws that, that no one should be condemned to death without two or three witnesses. But we see Jesus being treated unjustly and incredibly gross, mis, uh, mistrial, all of this stuff that's going on. And, and we see here, he, they were brought him before Pilate. Jesus had been arrested. You know that, that part of the story. And even as he was arrested, they came to Jesus and they said, uh, we're looking for uh, the Messiah. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And, and listen to what he said. I'll tell you, we see his meekness. The, the incredible meekness of the Lord through this story. Jesus could have, uh, he could have resisted arrest. He could have said, I'm not going to go through with this. But he had already prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so they came to arrest him. They asked for Jesus. And Jesus said, I am he. And when he said those words, the gospel of John tells us that the soldiers fell backward because of the power that was exuding from the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter said that, hey, we're going we're gonna to fight this battle with our swords. And he picked up a sword and he began to swing it. And he swung it at one of the high priest's servants and he chopped his ear off. And Jesus, in humility and meekness and love and grace, even in the face of injustice, picked that man's ear up right there on the spot and healed him. You would have thought that they would all have bowed down to him right there and said, surely you are the... The son of God and you're worthy of our praise. But no, they did not because their hearts 
were hard and their eyes were blinded and they could not see the glory of God. If they could have seen the Prince of Glory, they would not have crucified Him and treated Him in such a matter. And so we see here Pilate's They've gone back and forth. Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken to different places throughout the night. In the morning, the Sanhedrin had brought, had gathered together and they said, uh, let's try to find someone that can find fault with him. And they said that one of the witnesses said, we heard him say that he can destroy the temple and in three days he could rebuild it. And they knew that it took about 46 years for Herod to build back what he had done. And, and, and some of the other stories that they came up with, uh, they, they, they did not line up. They could not come up with it. But eventually the high priest asked him if he was the son of the blessed and the Lord Jesus could not deny the fact of who he was. And, and he said, you have spoken or something to that degree. And they all yelled at one moment and said, he's guilty of blasphemy because he's claiming to be somebody that they said that he wasn't. And so all of this has transpired over these few hours. And in the morning, they bring him before Pilate. And in verse 13 of chapter 23, Pilate had called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people. You see, what Jesus was going through was not done in a corner. I want you to imagine Jerusalem in this moment in time. Uh, This was... The Passover, this was a time of the Passover. It tells us in Deuteronomy 16 and 16 that all the Jewish males had to appear before God. And so this city was full. If you were of the, of the tribe of uh, Levi, and in particular, if you were of the descendants of Aaron, all the priests, they came and they served uh, two weeks out of the year uh, on the temple duties, but all of the priests had to report to Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover and of Pentecost and of the Feast of Tabernacles. So we have uh, all the Jewish males that have traveled in from around the area and from, uh, from out of the country. They traveled in in this moment. Uh, Josephus and some of the others, I believe, said there was around 18,000 to 24,000 priests that were there that were, uh, that were on duty in those, in those courses. And so we've got all of these priests that are gathered in. We have the rulers of the land, the Sanhedrin, and it said all the people were gathered And Pilate is standing before them, and they said that, in verse 14, they said unto them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, and I have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. You see, the Jewish people had said that Jesus was misleading the people. He was troubling the people. I tell you, we need some more trouble in our country today. The good kind of trouble where people's hearts are troubled over where they stand before God. Because Jesus was leading, they said that they were saying that Jesus was leading people away from God and away from the law, that he was a lawbreaker. But it was kind of like King Ahab when he saw Elijah coming. He said, who are you that troubleth Israel? I tell you. 
say Elijah was trying to point the people back to the true and the living God, but a greater than Elijah was here on the scene. And Pilate examined him and he said, I find no fault in him. And Pilate said that I will scourge him and I will release him to you. But the people began to cry out. And I'm sharing this because I want you to understand the injustices that Jesus Christ walked through, that he was an innocent man that was condemned to die. He was a lamb without spot, without blemish. Pilate here says, I have found no fault in him. I have sent him over to Herod, and Herod had been looking forward to see Jesus. The scripture tells us he wanted to see him because he said he was exceedingly glad when he came to him because he wanted to see Jesus to do some kind of miracle in front of him. Herod looked at Jesus as some kind of magician, somebody that could just do something amazing on the spot. But when he went before Herod, it says he opened not his mouth. And Herod said, I don't find any fault in him. He sent him back to Pilate. Pilate said in verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. And so we see how blind the people were. And you know the story, you've heard this many times, but I want you to see, this is important that we see in just a minute, the heart of Jesus, because he's walking through this moment And the people began to say, we don't want Jesus. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Do away with him. Put him out of our sights. Release unto us Barabbas. Barabbas was a man known for insurrection. He had probably taken some violent uh, action against the Romans and tried to overthrow him. And in some time in his life, uh, he had killed someone. He had unlawfully taken somebody's life. He was known as a robber. And it tells us in Matthew's gospel that he was a notorious prisoner. He had made himself a name inside the Roman prison system. This was a man that you did not really want to mess with and you wanted him to be locked behind the bars. And I've walked around a lot of them in my lifetime being behind the bars in the state of Tennessee. There have been notorious prisoners that have been back there. And I just can't fathom or imagine that a crowd of people would say uh, to condemn an innocent man and release a man that had been tried in court and found uh, worthy of death. But yet that's what they cried. And so the pressure began to build. And the pressure began to build. And they got louder and they got louder and they said, crucify him. Crucify the perfect, innocent son of God. It tells us that they led him up to Calvary. As they led them up, Jesus was weak in body and tired. I got to ask you this question How do you treat people when you're weak in body and tired? This reminds me of how much more I need to be like Jesus. 
because Jesus had been flogged and he had lost water, he had lost blood, he had, his physical body was weak and it was tired. And so the Roman soldiers grabbed Simon of Cyrene and said, uh, get his cross and follow behind him and lead him up to Calvary's hill. And the women were there and they were weeping and Jesus turned to them. Jesus gave them an admonition. He says, don't weep for me. Don't lament for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children because Jesus knew what he had come to do. Jesus knew where he was going. He had nothing to worry about, but Jesus foresaw the judgment of God that was gonna fall in particular historically at AD 70. He said, there's gonna come a day when you're gonna cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon us. Jesus in love warned them and gave them an instruction to weep for yourselves and weep for your children because he knew that people needed to be right with God at all times, even as he's on the road to Calvary. And so we get to verse 32. There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy that he would be numbered with the transgressors. I can imagine that moment that Jesus would be numbered among the other criminals. In the state of Tennessee, in the state of Kentucky, perhaps, I know in Tennessee, every man that enters into the criminal justice system gets a Thomas number that identifies them as a criminal. Sometimes you see that on a mugshot. They've got a certain number that identifies them as a criminal. And in this case, in a sense, Jesus was just identified in the Roman criminal justice system as just another number, as just another man condemned to die. But I hope you see that he is so much more than that. They lay him down upon the cross and they nail his hands and feet. And as he's hanging there between these two criminals, criminals sometimes, I've been around many of them, and sometimes they can be really harsh. And these two criminals at one point in this story, as you read through the Gospels, they had both been cursing at Jesus and railing at Him and blaspheming Him. And I'm sharing this because I want you to see the injustices and the treatment that Jesus was given because how often when we are mistreated by someone, do we not display a heart that is anti-gospel? A heart that is not like the heart of Jesus. And so we see here, Jesus is here. They have been, the soldiers have been mocking him. People have been staring at him. People have been questioning him and asking all of these things. They have, they have taken him through the rigmarole here. And notice what Jesus says. One of the first cries from the cross. He says, Father, do you know that Jesus had walked close with the Father every day of His life? 
You can look back in Luke's Gospel in chapter 2 and see when Mary and Joseph, at another time, when they were in Jerusalem at Passover, Jesus had said, that did you not know that I needed to be about my Father's business? He was at home in the temple. Because that's where He, that was His, in a sense, His house. Uh, Because that's where the manifest presence of God was located in the, the temple. But we see Him now outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And He cries out, Father. Notice the next words. If you were treated the way Jesus was treated, would you be filled with bitterness and resentment and rage? This is not fair. This is not right. And one of the first things that comes to our hearts and our minds, do you know who I am? To speak to me in such a way? But yet we do not see Jesus in that regard. We see, as the Bible says, the rock was struck. In the Old Testament, when Moses struck the rock, look what happened. Water flowed from it. And the Bible tells us in Corinthians that the rock is Christ. As Christ was being struck, a river of grace and mercy and love and truth flowed out of his heart, even in this moment of such injustice. We really have no excuse to live with broken relationships when we consider the warm affection of Jesus even in this moment of suffering and pain and mistreatment. Perhaps you're in here tonight and you have been treated wrongfully in some way and someone has said something unkind to you and you have allowed a grudge or a wall or a barrier to be built up between you and someone else. I want you to know that as we follow the gospel right here, we need to knock down all of those walls that instead of coldness and cynicism, there would be a warmth and a love and a grace because if God is willing to forgive me of all of my transgressions and in my sins, I should be able to forgive those that are around me because this is what Jesus teaches us here in this moment. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is tired. Jesus is weak in body. But in His divinity, it is shining. It is shining. The glory of God is shining in the fact that He is ready to abundantly pardon anyone who will come to Him in faith and believe that He is as good as He says He is right here in this moment. Sometimes ministry is hard and it's difficult and there's a temptation for those in ministry to get cynical. I know that for myself that you can get a little bit of cold and you can go through the motions and you can do those things. But I tell you, Jesus teaches me right here to have a heart that is filled with warm affection toward God and toward others no matter what I'm going through, no matter how I'm treated that I need to respond with a heart of forgiveness because that's the kind of heart that the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ has.
So notice what happens from this moment. How are the people responding? You see, this is the last opportunity for many of them. Perhaps some of them are going to be there on the day of Pentecost and they're going to hear this gospel message of the Apostle Peter who said, you have denied the holy and the just one and you are responsible for his death. That's what the Apostle Peter would later preach about uh, 50 days uh, from this moment in time. But at this moment, many of them are seeing this and it says in verse 35, the people stood beholding. They stared And watched. Such a gruesome event. Of capital punishment. It says the rulers also with them derided him. These rulers, those of the Sanhedrin were walking around and they were deriding him and railing at him and making fun of him. And they said this, he saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. Do you see the incredible humility in the heart of Jesus in this moment? As he is living a restrained life. Power under control. They said he saved others. Let Him come down from the cross. He's done all this for others. He's done this miracle of all kinds of miracles. And they said, why don't you just come down from that place? And yet He remained there because He knew the only way that He could perform the greatest miracle was to go through to the point of death and not only die and be crushed death to death, but on the third day rise again. He remained there in that place. The, the soldiers at the beginning of this had offered him up a, a drink of mix, uh, uh, a mixture with gall in it so that he could have uh, been, he could have knocked the edge off. And, and in this dying moment, that's what they offered up to the uh, prisoners sometimes, something that would have drugged him. But Jesus refused that because he had one more person to reach. One more person. One last opportunity for this individual here on the cross. But look at how he's being treated even this moment. It said the soldiers also mocked him and coming to him, offering him vinegar or sour wine. That sour wine was one of the cheapest wines that the poorest of the poor could, could, have, uh, could, been, could have been given. It would almost have been like to Jesus as he's hanging there on the cross that someone would offer him a cheap beer. That's how much of a mockery they were making of this moment in this end time. And so they, they, they did this unto him. And they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they even put an inscription above his head. So that everybody in the world would know it, no matter what language they could see that they could see that this man, this is the king of the Jews. They wrote it in Greek for the Greeks, in Latin for the Romans, in Hebrews for the Jews. And so there would be no mistaking. This was the crime that he was charged with. And it takes me back. I want you to think about this moment as Jesus, if you behold Him and see Him for who He is. It takes me back to the moment when the angel Gabriel had come to Mary there in chapter 1, verse 28, I believe. 
And listen what, uh, and let's jump on down. Verse 31. This is what Gabriel had said of Jesus before he even entered into the world. And this is what he said. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. His name shall be Jesus because the name Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. And can you imagine these Roman soldiers prying in on him and saying he saved others, but he can't save himself. They were hitting at him at the all time low. They were hitting him as low as they possibly could because his very name meant Jehovah saves. But Gabriel said this as well. He shall be great. Not just great in the sight of the Lord like John the Baptist, but he shall be great. And I want you to know this man hanging on this middle cross is great. He's the greatest of all time. You can bring anybody to me tonight, anybody in human history. And I'll tell you, you might say, well, he was great for that era or for that moment in some level of education, some level of athletics, some level of financial. But I tell you, that was just for a moment. This man hanging on the cross is great. He's great because look at his heart, even in the face of injustice, even as they were slaughtering the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God was willing to extend forgiveness or sins because he was able to take them away from you and release you from your sins so that you could be set free. If I was in that moment, I would have said, I am done with everybody. I'm hurting. I'm tired. I've been mistreated. I've been up all night. I've been flogged. My flesh has been broken. And I'll tell you, they disfigured him to such a degree that you could not even recognize him. I'll tell you, in my flesh, I would have said, there is no way anyone in the world is going to be saved. Everyone can die in their sins and be in a devil's hell. But I'll tell you, Jesus, is great. He is great. It says here, Gabriel said, he's the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. I'll tell you, we crowned him with a crown of thorns, but I'll tell you, he's going to be crowned one of these days with many crowns because he is worthy of all possible honor, glory, and praise. Why? Because in the divine council, before time even began, the father's Son and Holy Spirit in that determinate council said that one was going to have to go and die in the place of sinners. And I'll tell you, Jesus stood up on that occasion and said, I will go. And he would be in God incarnate in the flesh, as Gabriel said, that he would be, uh, he would inherit the throne of his father David. And he said, He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there shall be no end. I'll tell you, this one that was hanging on that middle cross was great. He's always been great. He's great tonight, and he'll be great throughout all of eternity. 
Because even here as the Romans, they thought they were powerful and they thought they were strong. The Roman emperor would even receive worship as a god. But I'll tell you, his kingdom fell. And the other kingdom that rose up after his kingdom, it fell. And all the kingdoms that have risen since that moment in time, they have risen and they have fallen. But I'll tell you, this man in the middle was establishing a kingdom that shall never end. And he is still the king. He's still the king. He's not on a cross tonight. He's at the right hand of God the Father. As I heard one say one time, he's got one hand on the throne tonight and he's got one hand extended to any sinner that might come to God for forgiveness of sins. He has that ability. There was something about that man In the middle, he didn't look like much on the outside. And he in particular really didn't look like much in this moment. But I tell you, the heart and the glory of God was shining through even in his weakness. And Jesus wasn't done saving sinners. Can you imagine that? The meekness of Jesus... The humility of Jesus, the heart to forgive in this critical moment. It says that as Jesus was there, it says one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If you be the Christ, save yourself. And us. Can you believe that someone could be dying and still laughing and making fun of God? That's what this criminal was doing. He was blaspheming Jesus in the face of death. In the face of the fact that he had been condemned to die by his peers, by the jury of people, this man is still making a mockery of life and of death and of everybody else. I want you to see how far sin can take you. Sin can take you to some dark and dangerous places that even in the face of death, you're not even sobered up that you are about to enter into eternity and it's about to be judgment time and this man is still making fun. He's only concerned about getting out of the situation. He wants a jailbreak. That's really what he wants Jesus to do. Can you break us out of this situation? So we see how hard his heart is. But look at what happened. One last opportunity for this man. But the other, the other criminal, answering, rebuked him. And look at what he said. Do you not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Something happened. Something happened to this man. 
he realized there was something to this man hanging in the middle. You see, a fear of God came over him. He realized that he was condemned not only to die, but he was condemned before God. I remember when I got saved, one of the verses my grandfather shared with me that meant so much to me was Romans 8 and 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So this man was condemned and he recognized it. He confessed. He knew that he was a sinner. How did that come over him? I can't imagine that there, there, there was a the sense of the power of God that was there on that scene. Something was opening up his eyes to behold Jesus for who he really was. He says, I, we deserve, in verse 41, we indeed justly, he said, we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. He recognized that Jesus was who he said he was. He had confessed his sin, but not only that, but he was convicted by the truth. This man right here on, on the, this one, it doesn't, doesn't tell us which side uh, that it was, uh, but he says here that this man was convicted. He was thinking about God. He was thinking about God. Look at this. Nobody else around him. Other people were staring. The soldiers were gambling for the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they were mocking him. The, the rulers were walking by and wagging their heads and staring at him. But, but out of all of that, I'll tell you, God was on a rescue mission. The Gospel of Luke says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And here in this very last hour before Jesus went silent and darkness invaded the whole land, Jesus was going to save one more soul. This man had one last opportunity before he entered into eternity. He realized he was accountable for his actions. He understood the imminence of death. You know, I don't know when your last opportunity is going to be. But I do know this, that there's an opportunity tonight. If the Lord is drawing you and working on your heart and we've prayed and we've preached and we've trusted that the, the Lord tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. I'll tell you, the Lord is able to work through the gospel. And the gospel was right here on the cross in full display. And this man was convicted and he recognized as he looked up at perhaps the, the charge of Jesus, this is the king of the Jews. And look at what happened. He said unto Jesus, Lord, that's important right there. Lord, that sounds like Saul. Lord, what would you have me to do? Do you see something amazing 
is happening as God is opening up his eyes to behold this man in the middle. He didn't have a great theological education. His lifestyle had led him into prison, into the criminal justice system, and now on a cross. So you don't have to you don't have to know a whole lot. You just have to know I'm I'm a sinner in need of a savior. He said, Lord, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? He recognized that this was a king. He recognized that even though through the cross and even though through death, that this man had a kingdom. How did he know that? All I can say is kind of like what happened to Peter. Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? He said, some say you're Jeremiah or some other of the prophets, but who do you say that I am? And if Peter got this wrong on either side of the equation, if he claimed that Jesus was God and he wasn't God, then he's guilty of blasphemy and death. And he said this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said this to Peter. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee. But my father who is in heaven. This man calls out to the Lord. And look at what happens. I wish that you could see the simplicity of the gospel. This man right here didn't know much. This man had an opportunity before him. This man understood the urgency of death. This man understood the urgency of getting right with God. This man understood that Christ is the king of an everlasting kingdom. And he wanted to enter that kingdom. Jesus could have said, no. You have lived a life of sin your entire life. You have hurt a lot of people. You have been judged by the state. You deserve to die in this moment. And end up in a devil's hell. But here's the hope that I want to share that Jesus shared with that man. And the same hope that he offers unto us tonight. Jesus said, verily I say unto you today. Today in just a few hours. This perhaps is... One of the worst days of your life. 
but it's about to be one of the best days of your life. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus took, in that moment, all of that life of sin and shame, and He had taken it on Himself. Jesus had taken, in that moment, the fear of death. And He tasted death for every man. Jesus, in that moment, had taken all of His unrighteous deeds and he switched because Jesus was going to pay the price that this man deserved to pay and he said after this this was the last person that we see Jesus saving on that side of the cross But look at how even all the way up, what a Savior is He. I don't think He said much after that because darkness came over the land about noon. This man probably got saved somewhere in the 11 o'clock hour. And darkness fell over the face of the earth from about 12 until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. In the middle of the day, the sun failed to shine because Jesus was standing in the gap for you and me, making an atonement for sin. And some amazing things happened. At the end of this, it says that the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, opening up a new and living way whereby we may enter into the very presence of God. And then Jesus cried once more here in Luke's Gospel. Jesus was not afraid to die. It says Jesus, this is how much power and how much meekness and how much mercy and how much grace and how much humility that He had in His heart. I hope and pray that something tonight you've seen a little bit about more of the heart of Jesus. He said, Father, with a loud voice. With a loud voice, every person I've ever been by their bedside that had about to, were about to pass away, they could barely whisper and many of them were not even in their sound mind. But I'll tell you, Jesus knew what he had accomplished and with a loud voice, he declared victory. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. About three o'clock, it had been dark all over the land for three hours. And about three o'clock, the sun begins to shine again. And a Roman soldier said this. He had watched all of these events standing at the base of the cross and said, certainly this was a righteous man 
The people walked away from the cross, beating their chest, in a sense saying, what have we done? What had they done? What have you and I done? We had crucified the Lord of glory and were held responsible for it. Thank God that's not the end of the story. On the third day, Jesus proved to be all that He said that He was. And He commissioned the church to go and preach the gospel so that people could know how to have their sins forgiven. If you stand in here tonight and you may think, Lord, I don't know if you could ever forgive somebody like me with all I've done. He can. He did. If you're in here tonight and you've got some barrier or some wall built up between you and somebody else, Jesus would say, you need to tear it down because He's much bigger than all that you may be going through. And so tonight, if you don't know Him, take advantage of this opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. If you do know Him and you've never shared your testimony with someone, you can be on all kinds of teams and be a part of all kinds of companies, but I'll tell you, you'll never find the greatest joy that you can find until you unite with the Lord's church and you begin to follow this man. He is great. And he is worthy of your entire life. And if you don't follow him, your life is not going to be all that it really needs to be. You will be missing opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity, day by day. If you are not wholeheartedly sold out to Jesus, you're going to miss a whole lot. And I encourage you to put Him first and put the church first. And He said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. May God help us all to follow this man with such a great heart. Praise His holy name. As we get a song and sing, if you're here tonight, I appreciate most of you. Stayed awake. Thank you for staying awake. If you're here tonight and You need to make a move towards Jesus. I encourage you, whatever move that is, to make it. Follow Him. Seek Him. Try Him.